This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. Well, the row over Maynooth has developed from a row about Grinder to a serious debate over the qualities needed to become a priest. This morning, we're going to talk to a wide range of voices within the church reflecting this division, which has been blown open by Archbishop Dermot Martin's admission that he is no longer sending priests to train in Maynooth. In studio, Father Iggy O'Donovan is an Augustinian priest and Sarah MacDonald is a freelance journalist who specialises in religious affairs. And we're going to be joined on the line then by Mark Dooley, columnist with the Irish Daily Mail who first brought this issue uh, to the attention of the public back in 2010, I think. Now, first, though, we thought we'd address the issue of Grindr. And earlier I spoke to John Paul Brammer. He's a gay man and a journalist. He writes for the Huffington, Huffington Post and The Guardian. And I asked him to explain to me what exactly Grindr is. Grindr is a mobile app um, specifically designed for gay and bisexual men or men who are interested in men to find each other if they are nearby. So you download it on your phone, and from there, once you log on, you can see how far away the next person is with Grindr. You can see their profile, which includes um, a picture, sometimes of their face, sometimes just of their body, sometimes no picture at all, depending on if they're out or if they're discreet. Um, It'll have their details. It'll have their height. It'll have their weight. It'll have their race. It'll have a brief bio. Um, what they're looking for, things like that. And then you can message them. You can tap their profile picture, hit message, and start talking to them. And typically the object is there's there's some people on there who say, you know, I'm here for friends, I'm here for dating, but usually nine times out of ten, it's a hookup app. Usually it's so that you can find sex. And I think maybe that's what either disturbs people or else cultivates this idea of gay men as being promiscuous and that there's this culture Mm -hmm. of fairly anonymous sex. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair description of it or of gay culture? I think it can be a little unfair. I think that there are um, certain environments where gay men maybe don't feel terribly safe meeting other people in public. Um, That's just not something that's been afforded to our community in the past. Like, we can't just go up to someone who we think is attractive usually and say, hey, I think you're really handsome, because in the past that sometimes meant violence or sometimes meant a really negative, hostile reaction. So I think that we've sort of been corralled into um, underground hookup culture. And now that that's sort of starting to go away, we're living in a time now where there's a little bit more acceptance. Um, Some of the social norms are softening towards gay men, but a lot of those customs are still there. And I think that a lot of... um, people look at it now and they think, oh, that's sort of trashy or, oh, that's sort of um, So do you th- are, are you saying that uh, some gay people would actually look down on this kind of thing themselves? They'd actually judge it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it depends on what generation of gay men you are and obviously how you were raised, how comfortable you are with your gayness. But there are gay men who look at Grindr and they think, oh, that's trashy. Now, you described in an article you've written about the differences that an app like Grindr can make, depending on where you live, that maybe if you're in a big urban area, you don't really need it because there are recognised places you can go to meet other gay men, but that maybe in more rural areas or more repressive societies, that's when it can become quite important, actually. Right, absolutely. And it obviously also depends on the person. Like, um, just reading 
what happened in Ireland, I was just, all I could think was, well, yeah, that makes total sense because none of those people would be out and proud and sort of media, they're not loud. Yeah. Um, so we have, obviously, in New York City, gay bars where we can go and we can sort of meet each other, but I think that Grindr also adds that touch of convenience. Um, like other mobile apps, like you don't have to actually leave your house or you don't have to actually go socialize or if you have social anxiety, you can sort of message someone from the comfort of your own home. And I think for that as another dimension to it, it's sort of like right fingertips. And that's John Paul Brammer. He's an American journalist who's written about Grindr and the extended interview would be on Newstalk.com. He talks a lot more about safety and how Grindr is used in uh, repressive societies, particularly in countries where homosexuality is illegal and the safety issues that um, it can create in itself. Um, Iggy O'Donovan you can understand why people would be absolutely shocked that this kind of thing is going on in a seminary. Were you surprised? Uh, not hugely surprised that there was a gay issue. I accept what you, your opening sentence there about the people people would be taken aback or surprised because um, I suppose if this has done anything at the moment, I think it's, it's a terrible blow to morale of many people. Uh, whether it be promiscuous sex, whether it be gay or straight, uh, when uh, because one of the things as pe- people I think have got to resent more than anything else over the recent decades and the scandals and whatnot is that is of double standards or hypocrisy, and whatever your lifestyle is, at least to be what you are and appear what you are. So this thing bubbling beneath the surface it at Maynooth because Maynooth is an iconic name it's an iconic brand if you like in Irish Catholicism and it's indeed international Catholicism so therefore if and even the if I'm paraphrasing Diamond Martin a little bit now that it wasn't uh, if you like fit for purpose so to speak I mean th- that is the equivalent of uh, Brian Cody saying Croke Park isn't fit for hurling. Mm. You know, it really, it is. It, it, this is coming from the top. This isn't a throwaway so, comment in so a bar. No, I, heard, I spoke to one um, uh, Catholic uh, man during the week who felt that he thought Dermot Martin had overreacted. Do you think he's done the right thing moving people to Rome or should he have sought more to reform Maynooth itself rather than outsourcing uh, the problem. Well, I'd preface my comment by saying that I have never, I didn't study in Minute, I was never there. I've spent a lot of time in Rome. It's obviously a, a, quite a complicated cocktail. You know, it's a, a real mix. Of, I think there's various issues because there seems to be a strange coalition of people coming into this from every point of view. Uh, and Kenny, I think, will understand it now a bit better with the present new politics mix up where, you know, from everybody from the most right wing to the most left wing sitting in cabinet. Uh, because the, watching the reaction to it, people like Father Brendan Hoban, normally seen as the, if you like, the liberal Catholic, quote unquote, and uh, defending Maynooth, uh, Brendan, <coughs> the ACP and whatnot. And uh, obviously it's a much more complicated issue than just a, a, a gay subculture, as Dermot Martin put it. There's much more to it because... And if we only wanted a fact on that, Dermot Martin taking, and three students, by the way, worth noting, that's a significant thing, three for the Diocese of Dublin, going to Rome out of Maynooth. Now, if you are trying to protect them from a gay subculture, I wouldn't be sending them to Rome mm. if that is your issue, if that is the issue. So clearly there is something else. 
and uh, was really the um, availability of such services in Rome I think would beat anything that the Emerald Isle can offer. And Iggy, what does that say about the church and about the priesthood that there is this acceptance that it is very attractive to gay men for all the obvious reasons? Yeah, and there is, uh, again, and I don't have figures, but there's anecdotal evidence that there's a disproportionately high number of uh, gay men in the church as as compared with uh, ordinary civil society, where I would like to think that the percentage would be, re- we would represent the society which we serve. And there's something unhealthy if it's enormously high. Do you think yeah. if it was open, if they were openly gay, well... Obviously, it's against the official church teachings, but I think most Catholics aren't necessarily paying attention to the official church teachings. Would it be better? Would it be healthier? Just let them come out. Maybe parishioners wouldn't actually really care. Let them come out, yes, but uh, to be actively gay then would run against the whole teaching of celibacy, whether you're talking about straight or uh, gay sex. That's a, the other issue. Like this is the elephant, I suppose the whole thing of sexuality being an elephant in the room and particularly in the case of the uh, Irish church where you have cultural and um, society um, issues which aren't so true of Catholicism elsewhere. Um, Dr. Mark Dooley is on the line. He's a columnist in the Irish Daily Mail, has a very uh, big article on it today and indeed began writing about this several years ago. He's also author of the book Why Be a Catholic. Good morning, Mark. Hello, Sarah. So, Mark, you wrote about this several years ago. Will you tell me about your experience when you were lecturing in the Department of Philosophy at the University in Maynooth? Your lectures um, were attended by seminarians. What, what, when did this all come to your attention? Well, <clears throat> shortly after I took up my position there in 2006, um, I, I noted that the seminarians were always trying to get to me after the so a certain bunch of them, that is, after my lectures, and they seemed more interested in discussing other matters than philosophy. And eventually, um, they one of the one or two of them plucked up the courage to say, "Look, we need to sit down. There's things we want to discuss." And I did, and they revealed to me uh, in shocking detail, I have to say, and a detail that left me somewhat sceptical. I must confess at first uh, about the, the as, as Dermot Martin put it, the goings on, the strange goings on in Maynooth. Uh, and from there it escalated. Uh, I, t- uh, I checked out another a number of other sources. Uh, I had more mediation with with the, the seminarians, um, who were my students. Uh, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, I grew to trust them as students first, not as seminarians. Um, and then uh, I was invited. I disclosed this to the editor of the paper at the Mail, and uh, he invited me to write an article about it, which I did in 2010. Um, and it, that opened up, uh, you know, a, a can of worms. Um, it, it poured forth. I had letters from all, all across the world, from seminarians, ex-seminarians, priests, bishops, etc., etc. As I said the other day in the, in the paper, you could, it was as if they had all written the same letter in unison. Uh, the facts were the same, uh, stories of uh, sexual intimidation, stories of bullying, stories of um, formation that was so dire that it, 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 it would make you weep. Um, and I, I eventually, I kept writing. Uh, over the, the, about a month later, uh, I received a very curt uh, letter from the university saying that due to financial constraints, my position in the Department of Philosophy was no longer tenable. Um, 
despite the fact that they'd already arranged my courses for the, the new academic mm-hmm. year. So that speaks for itself. But however, I, I, I put it all together in a, in a little book, Why Be a Catholic? And um, uh, here we are, what is it, six, seven years later, yeah. and uh, we're in the same mess. Now, there's a Father Seamus Ahern quoted in the Irish Independent today in an article by Kim Bielenberg. He's a parish priest, 69 years old in Finglas. And he says what this is really about <clears throat> are the mad liberals versus the crazy conservatives. And it seems to be that, um, and you've described this yourself, how the seminarians who were being managed out of Maynooth and being told maybe the priesthood wasn't really for them were the ones who were seen as being theologically rigid, that they were just too holy and wanted to kneel during the Eucharist and, um, you know, took it very, very seriously and perhaps might be accused of being on the right wing side of the church. Um you know, do you, is that your analysis of this, that the people that you would consider to be most fit for priesthood were the ones who were edged out while the liberals and the gays were getting a pass? That's basically it, although I would say that uh, those who want to kneel during the Eucharist happen to be every Catholic in the country, I think. I mean, it is the high point of the Mass, which is the high point of our religion. So to deny them that, and that was one of the things the apostolic visitation uh, brought out when it came, bad and all as it was, that um, the seminarians must be allowed to kneel during the consecration. I mean, you look back at the report, and this is one of the things that dismayed the visitors, that they weren't allowed. But no, I, I think that it's, 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 it's deeper than that. I mean, look, a priest, Father O'Donovan uh, uh, adverted to it there earlier on, a priest should be a priest. I mean, we, don't, we expect more of them. They are, after all, an altar Christus, another Christ. Uh, and therefore, we must trust them. We must trust that the, the picture of sanctity that they present to us on the altar is what it is, you know? So it, it's, it's, you, it, you, you, all this commentary about liberals versus conservatives, it's not about that. It's about men being formed as priests who stand in the person of Christ. It's as simple as that. Now, either they're that or they're not that. If they want to lead a gay lifestyle, perfectly fine. Let them go and lead a gay lifestyle. But becoming a priest demands of them something more than that. And what do you think about the people in the congregation? You know, if people are less believing of, we'll say, the more supernatural elements of Catholicism, like transubstantiation, um, but perhaps they want to belong to a community. You know, do you think the church should welcome in everyone, that it literally be a broad church? So you can have liberal priests who maybe don't want to wear the garb, who are one of the people rather than slightly above yeah. the people. Yeah. Or do you think it should be a much smaller community of people who actually believe what they're hearing well, every Sunday? Yeah, OK. Well, you see, Catholic means, Catholic means universal. So it means every, everyone who wants to belong to the church. I mean, it's the people of God, actually. Um, and of course, to give it its credit, uh, the Irish Church is a broad church. You have liberal priests, you've conservative priests, you've middle of the road priests. Most of the uh, the Association of Catholic Priests, by the way, do wear their collar. As a matter of fact, <laughs> and I know some conservative priests who don't. Right. Uh, it's not, in, and of course, it should be an open church. But all I'm saying is that uh, priests, by virtue of their vocation, should live a life of sanctity. Um, and inspire it in others. You know, it's, 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 it's to see a priest, uh, you know, go about his daily duties, healing and consoling people, helping in every way possible is a very profound thing. 
and to besmirch that uh, and to form people in a way that is contrary to that, I, I think is, 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 uh, is somewhat criminal, actually, for, for parishioners, because that is what they expect, that is what they see, and that's what they have the trust in. Sarah MacDonald, um, there seems to be an awful lot of church politics in this, that that's what's really going on here. Um, what is your analysis of what agendas are being played out here? There's a number of strands and people have suggested that it's a battleground uh, between um, a more liberal understanding of formation and a more traditional understanding. Um, I listen very closely to what Mark is saying and um, what he's saying is very valid. But I think we've also to bear in mind that Pope Francis has said that he wants his clergy to have the smell of the sheep from them. And we have to be very careful of reverting to a clericalist um, mentality where priesthood is concerned. Um, A lot of these young men who are in Maynooth at the moment are in fact uh, very conservative or very traditional as we would understand it. So for me that would raise questions as to um, how they can square um, being promiscuous, sexually promiscuous and at the same time be advocating for kneeling at the consecration. So do you think they're some of them are the same, they're overlapping, that some of the gay priests are at the same time theologically rigid priests? As the, I the think so, is. I think so. And I think one of the things we'd have to bear in mind is a book that came out in 2014. It was published by an Irish publisher um, and it was done, it was put together by a researcher who's an ex-seminarian himself, a guy, Dr. John Weaver. It was called 33 Good Men, Celibacy, Obedience and Identity. And um, he detected a difference between those who are older within the priesthood who express concern around celibacy and they didn't see too many good sides of it and younger priests, more traditional priests who said it was key to priesthood. That for me then raises questions. Well, if it's key to priesthood, how can they not you know, adhere to being celibate as they're training for priesthood. There is a there is a dichotomy there. And so I think the issue, yes, you might say it's about a battleground between um, conservative, traditional versus liberal. But I think it's also, um, and this is something that maybe Archbishop Martin is looking at, is issues around formation. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to be ministering to the people of God, There's huge diversity there. Who decides who are the formators, as they're called, in the seminary? You know, who appoints them and therefore has this huge power as to which direction the trainees are pushed? Well, I would say the trustees in Maynooth um, would decide that. And one of the things that I mentioned in my article today in the Irish Independent is that um, a lot of the staff who are in in Maynooth at the moment were actually studying there in the 1990s. They're not that old um, and they were there at a time when uh, there was according to this ex-seminarian Sean uh, there was a don't ask mentality that there were there were certain cliques uh, gay cliques within within Maynooth and um, if they were prepared to turn a blind eye then as seminarians, well, then maybe that's OK to turn a blind eye now as their staff. Um, and politically, they're the ones who are taking aside the more conservative priests, maybe, and saying to them, we're not really sure this is for you. Is Are they the ones then who have this power? 
I think it must be um, that some some of the conservative priests um, are raising questions which. Um, Maybe there's a, a promotion of a Vatican II agenda uh, and there are those who want a more restorationist um, yeah. uh, theology uh, formation. And maybe there are questions being thrown up between staff and students um, as to what direction Mark, they should go. I just want to go back to you on the issue that Iggy raised, that if Archbishop Dermot Martin wants to protect trainees from this toxic culture, and on the face of it, from the gay subculture, though I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that's exactly what he's doing, that Rome is the wrong place to send them because this is the lifestyle in Rome. Like most of them are gay and they're having a great old time over yes, there. That, that is true. <coughs> Although I'll say two things in response to that. The first is that uh, the, the one good thing that did come out of the apostolic visitation uh, to the into the Irish Church was that, unlike Maynooth, they did uh, go hammer and thongs in uh, reforming the uh, Irish College in Rome. Uh, most of the pers- structural changes, personnel changes, all of the staff were removed or uh, resigned and replaced by quite decent men, as it ha- as it happens. The second thing I would say is that I think you're right. Uh, uh, you know, it may be putting them from the frying pan into the fire, which is why, um, uh, you know, the, the best thing to do is to, is to just get rid of Maynooth. I mean, the, the, it's, it's, it's so rotten now, uh, and these, these, this last week has kind of put the final nail in the coffin, that it's, it's best to start again. And bishops can do that. You know, the, the archbishop could set up a, a seminary in his back garden in the morning if he wanted to. He has that power. So, and I think that is under consideration. So let them set up a new seminary and start again. Iggy, what do you think of that? Yeah, I agree with much of what uh, Mark is saying. But and I, some of the, our listeners, I think, may be almost confused on some of this because it seems to be a very, as I put it earlier, a complicated cocktail. The, if you like, the popular headlines are about grinder and the uh, gay issue. But clearly there's much more to it than that. And there has been within the broader church and certainly in the Irish church too, something of a, if you like, a civil war in recent decades between quote-unquote liberals and conservatives. Now, my view on that is that it's not a question that we reach for some type of via media, that the liberals move in a bit and the others come the other way. Uh, Rather, I would like to think that there's room for both groups in the as Mark put it earlier, the but universal how, church. But how can there be? Because surely the conservative point is, <clears throat> look, here's the theology. Yes. Right? This is not, mass is not a memorial. This is, you know, transubstantiation. This is the body of Christ. So that's that theological part. And then the official dogma is homosexuality is wrong. It just is. And yet you've this gay community within not just the church itself, but actually up on the altar too. So are the conservatives saying, listen, you're either in or out. If you don't believe it, go. You don't have to be here. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's not as uh, simple as that. You know, believe it or not believe it. Like you mentioned transubstantiation, which is a complicated Aristotelian philosophical concept, which should never have found its way into a, a popular discussion on the Eucharist. Because there are people who believe in the... The centre of the Eucharist is the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Call that transubstantiation or consubstantiation or whatever you like. The the belief of Christ being there is the central point of it. The word transubstantiation was thrown in. Now, it's sometimes used like a crusader sword where, um, you know, it's brandished, where orthodoxy is seen to be uh, challenged. When in fact, uh, transubstantiation, which the church has never imposed or defined on anybody, 
Uh, it's a philosophical concept which is open to discussion. It doesn't mean that somebody who has uh, one view on it rather than another uh, b- doesn't believe in the same presence of Christ in the Eucharist. We're talking about philosophical su- concept, substance, accident, all this stuff, which many younger listeners wonder what I'm on about now. But so that that one. What The other thing, it's not just a gay issue either because uh, right wing or left wing, because this particular one hits both sides of the argument, whether we are liberal or uh, conservative. And there are people who would be theologically, if you like, very conservative, many, but would be quite liberal in their private practices, shall we say, be they gay or straight. Sarah MacDonald, do you want in on that? I think that's a, a, an interesting point that uh, Iggy uh, concluded um, there on the idea of shutting down Maynooth, it won't solve the problem because we know that one of the biggest scandals of recent time in the church was the Legion of Christ, one of the most conservative uh, religious orders in the church, produced um, loads of vocations, um, very traditional, um, and yet their founder was found to be um, abusing seminarians. and On a horrendous a, level. On a horrendous, on a horrendous and level. And also members within the order who, you know, were having children children with uh, women and all the rest. So I don't think it's right to look at the the possibility of shutting down Maynooth and then finding a new seminary and that that will be the solution. I think what Archbishop Martin was suggesting was that maybe we have to look at the model of formation, that maybe we need to look at having seminarians spending more time in parishes, getting used to the idea of spending a lot of time on their own and how they will handle that Um, and then travelling to Maynooth for lectures um, but being very much at the heart of the church and learning about ministry instead of this more monastic approach and cutting young men off and putting them all together and then it becomes a kind of a hothouse. Um, Mark, what about that? That it's about the whole model of formation? Yes, there is is a, a certain truth in that. Uh, although I, I have to say that one ha- it does ha- it is in Sarah's words there is a de- monastic dimension to it. After all, these people are expected under current uh, church law, the laws of celibacy, to to live by themselves, to live in an environment that where they can offer up their 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 their, their, their sexual identity to something greater, self denial, self sacrifice, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, that, requ- but, that but, requires. Excuse me. Now that sorry, requires. Man. That requires going out of your domestic environment, as it were, and being, uh, you know, taken from the world for a while. Uh, now. That's just part of priesthood, um, uh, you know. And, and I, you know, it's it's not fair to to say that that is wrong in itself, because uh, you know, while we have a particular problem in this country, uh, there are there are many thousands of wonderful priests around the place, all of whom uh, went through that type of formation. But I do believe that the Archbishop is 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 correct. I think the whole thing needs to be looked at. Uh, but you see, as long as we have the current model in Maynooth, as long as we have the people there who have been training priests for as long as I've been involved in the saga, uh, is still uh, in situ, uh, the problem isn't going to go away. Right, but what if the problem, as Sarah says, is not Maynooth? It's the people who are attracted to their church. Yeah. And if a disproportionate number of priests being attracted um, to the priesthood are gay, mm-hmm. while the church simultaneously teaches that homosexuality is wrong, well, then one has to go. Either the gay priests have to go or the theology has to change. Yeah, we, the, 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 one must make a distinction between a gay priest and an actively gay priest. 
Right. You know, uh, you know, there's plenty, I'm sure there's plenty of, of gay priests. There are, we know there are plenty of gay priests, just as there are plenty of straight priests. Um, but one expects that the gay priest will offer that, that same level of self-sacrifice as the, as the straight priest. So what has to go is the actively uh, homosexual priest. Okay, I have to take a break now. A few quick texts first. Paul says, Hi, I was in a seminary in England in the 1960s and sex between the seminarians was common. Everyone, including some of the priests in charge, knew what was going on. Ger says, Sarah, they are either in or out. They can't have it both ways. And uh, M. Walsh and Mayo says, The word formation rather than education tells tells that all students are being twisted, moulded, even warped into a specific way. Surely this is unnatural. Yeah, I have to admit, I only came across that word formation this week and began to discover what it really meant. It's a really interesting word. Um, we'll be back with Jerry Bushimer after this. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Good morning and welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about the row over Minute this morning and in studio with me is Father Iggy O'Donovan, the Augustinian priest, and Sarah MacDonald, a freelance journalist who specialises in religious affairs. Now, yesterday I spoke to Jerry Buttimer. He's the opening gay Fine Gael TD in Cork South Central and I asked him about this issue that if the more conservative and traditional candidates for the priesthood had a point, that it was unfair that from their perspective, the theologically rigid candidates were being taken aside and managed out while the actively gay priests were getting a pass. The church is about the people of God and where the people of God are at. Um, and they're found in, you know, come back to the old cliche of, of de Valera's comely maidens at the crossroads. They're found in every part of, on every walk of life. And for an inclusive church, and a church that embodies the real message of Jesus, to love one another, to treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, then I believe that there's been a failure to embrace all people, irrespective of who they are, whether they're conservative or liberal, gay or straight. And that's why I think this is an opportunity that we should look at as a church in Ireland to embrace how we can make our church more relevant and not just to consign the the, the whole ill of the church to a consumer society where we're driven by consumerism. It's not quite like that because many of us who are spiritual and many people you know whether they're married with kids or married uh, as gay people today are spiritual want to play a part in their church in some cases do to choir to liturgy to different activities uh, but there's a group that are excluded uh, and that's not a model of church that I think can work Pope Francis in his language has reached out, has reached out to divorced people um, and has reached out to, to, to people who are gay but the next level is, is to build on that and to work a different type of model. The model of church that we follow now and has failed um, and, and it hasn't worked because vocations are declining. Uh, priests are, are, are now traversing a number of parishes in many parts of the country. Mass schedules have been changed to accommodate, you know, different types of model of parish. But isn't the church more inclusive and more embracive when it embodies all of us in society and all strands of society? And there's a, room, there's a role for liberals, a role for conservatives, uh, and, and I don't see any reason why that can't be extended and changed. Do you have any hope that that could be changed, that we would end up with married priests and openly gay priests and therefore make it a wider, more inclusive church? Can that happen? I had hoped we would have under Pope Francis, but he seems to have regressed a small bit. You know, I mean, we can't allow a church to be protective and to be, you know, secretive anymore. We saw what happened in our country in the past when that was allowed to happen and that consumed the church and that consumed those in leadership to protect and to preserve and to, 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 to be secretive. 
And that's Jerry Bushamer, the Fine Gael TD in Cork South Central. And he studied in Maynooth for five years um, before he left. And he was very positive, I have to say, when we spoke yesterday about his experience in Maynooth. And that interview would be on Newstalk.com as well. Um, Father Iggy, if I go back to you, um, it seems to me it goes back to this huge hypocrisy, you know, at the heart of the church between the official dogma um, which I have to say, as someone who goes to Mass, I never hear preached in the church. There's never any mention, yeah. you know, of what the official dogma is around homosexuality yeah. or anything else. You know, it's just our local guy being a pastor and trying to help people be better people. But there's well, just that clash between the official and what's happening on the ground. Yeah, I'd begin with just one sentence of uh, to compliment Jerry Buttermer there, because what he said there, you could almost take it as the mission statement for a thinking Catholic today. It was magnificently put, as good as I've heard from any clergyman in recent years. Oh, you're right. And uh, there's, uh, if you like, when it comes to, particularly to moral matters, like we have lost so much uh, street cred, so to speak, that many of us, myself included, are very slow to bring up these topics at all. Because uh, when you're in an enormous glass house and start throwing stones, you could shatter one of your own pains very easily. But besides, th- there is the point. If only the referendum we had here last year in the, on the marriage equality, the great majority voting were Catholics. You saw the result. Ordinary thinking Catholics. It comes to, we would say, the, the big single issue before this one now was family planning in the old days. My God, think of the Irish solution to the Irish problem and Barry Desmond and Charlie Hawhey and all that. Yet, everybody knew that 99% of people were simply ignoring it. Yeah. And yet it was, if you like, it was still on the statute book. But nobody, you know, I, for example, I rarely preach of ever on family planning because in dealing with ordinary Catholics at the coalface, which I've been doing for 40 years now, I find that it's such a non-issue in their lives. It's not that they've accepted or rejected it. It's just a non-issue. They no longer worry about it. And Why do you think gay people want to be a part of the church? You know, because I know there is a gay community within the church. There are masses, you know, that are attended by gay people. Last year, I interviewed Sister Janine Gramick, a nun um, in America who specifically ministers to the LGBT community. You know, some people would look at them and say, why? Why do you want to be part of this? Well, it's in some ways, there's a bit of, in one sense, it's straightforward that the church, as Jerry Buttermer put it there, being open to everybody. And in in that sense, a, a gay person who feels a spiritual calling or wants to worship the Lord in a particular way, fe- feels they want to be part of that church as good as anybody else. There's the second point I marvel a little bit about, and maybe some of your listeners might be able to text you on it or whatever. And that is that in spite of enormous provocation over the years, women in particular, in fact, mm-hmm. In spite of enormous provocation, the number of people who have hung on and stayed uh, put never ceases to amaze me. And I can only put that down. They're a bit like the GAA for a county say that wins nothing at national level. Their club scene is brilliant <laughs> and passionate. Excuse me, Leitrim or somebody like that. You know, their clubs is and that is what's happening. I attended a funeral the other day in my own native Glen of Arharlow and Tipperary and to see the local community gathered, the celebration, the tears at the graveside, 
the get-together in the community hall afterwards, the priest in the middle of it, his beautiful words of uh, compassion, people rallying around, everybody there, nobody wondering about gay subcultures in Manute or anywhere else. This was the local club. This was the local people playing at the local level. And there is where the core of Catholicism lies. And if they are the lions at the coalface, and they must sometimes wonder what the donkeys are doing who are leading the show. Yeah, uh, Sarah MacDonald, I can really relate to that because that's what our church is at home. It's very much about a community and a shared experience. And I'm not sure. First of all, no one asks each other what they believe. You know, they're just there together, um, helping each other through life's ups and downs. And I remember last year during the marriage equality referendum, Tom Curran, the General Secretary of Fine Gael, um, who made a very impassioned plea for people to vote yes because his son Finian was gay. He was actually reading at mass the same night that he wrote an article and did a press conference about it. And it was so emotional. Like he was very emotional. The congregation were emotional that he was there standing on the altar having come out himself, you know, looking for support from people. And it's just a constant surprise to people outside the church why maybe people like him or people like me still go. Because with all the, with all sorry, the, stricture, the strictures and yeah. canons and censorships and whatnot, yeah. I'd say there were many points down through history where Jesus would have been silenced had he been saying what he said. Sarah. <laughs> Yeah, and also I think sometimes, you know, the church um, evidences the best of humanity and then perhaps the worst. And people who have a very good experience of a pastoral side of the church and their own parish are are shocked then when they hear about things going on in Rome or Maynooth because it's very removed from what they experience. And I, I suppose I would come back again to what has been raised by this whole crisis is um, formation and whether putting men into a monastic setting where they're actually going to be out in amongst the people pastoring to them in those situations like funeral, death, mm. illness and all the rest is a good idea. I've often wondered why not just break with Rome? Like what does Rome actually do? I went to Rome a couple of years ago with my husband and we went to see the Vatican like you do and we were just shocked at the wealth that's there and, you know, fabulous museums and art and all the rest of it. But that has nothing to do with what hundreds of thousands of people in this country are doing every weekend. Are people in Africa um, who yeah. are on the margins are disadvantaged or Asia. But the thing is, I mean, that uh, historical patrimony is there down the centuries and it can't just be got rid of overnight. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, something that the church looks after for people. And that's a fair point. It's more about the sense that you've got these guys in Rome and they are just completely cut off and separate from the everyday folk church that people are a part of. But the interesting thing is uh, last October, October uh, 2015, one high ranking um, uh, Monsignor in the Vatican came out just ahead on the eve of the Synod, the second meeting of the Synods to announce that he was in a gay relationship and to question the church's attitudes to homosexuality. Now, again, you know, that for people was very shocking. It kind of took away from the issues around, you know, marriage, uh, that many couples were looking to the Synod to move forward, uh, those who were in broken relationships uh, and were hoping for announcements on communion for divorce and remarriage. 
this kind of moved the centre of focus away. He raised legitimate questions. Um, He also made people aware that within the Vatican, there are those who are promulgating uh, strictures, shall we say, but are living a double lifestyle. When we talked before on this show, we were talking about women priests and you were making the point, look, there are two churches. You've got the American and European church where probably there would be a consensus to move on all this stuff. You know, get ha- let the priests marry. Let's have women priests. You know, uh, let priests be openly gay, perhaps if not sexually active. But that you've got the Southern Hemisphere, Africa, South America, and where they're really conservative. And you won't get those to buy into that. They may not pay lip service to it, but again, it is known that within the African church, you know, a lot of priests would be sexually active. And there's uh, potentially another scandal to emerge around treatment of nuns. And no doubt there is, you know, um, there are men who are gay in that church as well, but it's it's hidden. The difference is in, in Europe and in America, people are talking, the laity are very empowered and they're willing to discuss this. And another point perhaps just to raise is that what Maynooth is um, is going through at the moment, the seminaries in America went through something similar back in around about 2005. I think the Vatican um, ordered uh, a visitation to them and the report came out in 2008. Now, again, a little bit like the visitation to the Irish churches, it, it, you know, suggested that there should be more, uh, more rigorous um, uh, theology um, and, you know, more careful formation, maybe something that... Mark Dooley would, you know, be pleased to see Maynooth impose. But again, you know, um, I don't know how that has worked. Uh, they they are getting more vocations, but whether those vocations are actually staying, I don't know. Maybe Iggy, you would know more about well, that. When you- well, actually, I'm sorry, I really have to take a break now and I'll write down what you want to say so, <laughs> so you don't forget. Right. few quick tests before the break. Um, the problem in the church is celibacy, says a texter. Get rid of it. Sex will always take precedence. Um, give it a break. Putting young men through the seminary like sheep, it's the most outdated institution in the world, um, says another texter. And then uh, someone says, you seem to be implying that the conservative candidates and the actively gay candidates are two separate categories, that the conservatives are managed out and the actively gay is given a pass. Is that not simplistic? who says that the Conservative candidates are not sometimes also the actively gay candidates. Well, Sarah MacDonald did correct me on that and point that out to me. It's just so complicated, isn't it? Um, uh, Lehman Blackrock says Dr. Mark Dooley is right. Close Maynooth, a smaller, more devout traditional church will emerge. That would be good for the faithful. The rest can go elsewhere. Anne says, surely the exclusion of women from top jobs in the church has led to this unseemly mess. Well, we talked about that uh, last week um, or on the Sunday show that I was presenting last week about banks, that the problem was the absence of women. And and um, someone else says, Igo Donovan making a lot of sense this morning. Great analogy, read the GAA. It was a perfect one. We'll be back with Paddy Agnew in Rome after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Good morning and welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about Maynooth this morning. You can text the show 52106 for 30 cent or tweet us at hashtag NTFM. In studio, Father Iggy O'Donovan, the Augustinian priest, and Sarah MacDonald, freelance journalist specialising in religious affairs. Um, now, on the line is Paddy Agnew. He's the Rome correspondent for the Irish Times, and he really broke this story on Monday, reporting first that Archbishop Dermot Martin had decided to stop sending trainees to Maynooth. Paddy, what has the reaction been in Rome to the story? Uh, well, there's been no reaction in the sense that when I rang uh, the, the press office, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, to, to get an official 
uh, response. Uh, the number two in the press office hadn't heard the story at all. And Greg Burke, who's the new uh, senior spokesman of the church, said he said what, what I expected him to say and what his predecessor, Father Lombardi, always would, uh, would say to him in this circumstances. This is clearly an issue for the Irish Church, for the Irish bishops, for the Irish bishops' conference, for mm. the uh, governance of Maynooth. It's not, you know, you can't expect uh, the Holy See to get involved in every little uh, bun fight uh, uh, and row that takes place all around the Universal Church, and we're not getting involved in this one. Now, will you tell us about Rome and what the scene is there, for want of a better word, that there seems to be this weird overlap between conservatism and these young, theologically right-wing men who are also gay. And that it appears that Pope Francis is trying somehow to do something about that and make this more a church of the people. How is that battle playing out? Well, you know, I'd say... As somebody who's covered the Vatican for 30 years, uh, and as a Protestant, looking at it with a a Protestant uh, eye, uh, one of the things that strikes you, uh, and somebody, you know, I went to a boarding school, a boys' boarding school, where there was a lot of homosexual uh, behaviour. I have two brothers who are gay. So when I look at the 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 clerical community in Rome, uh, you know, I look at it with particular eyes, and I can tell you there's more gay behaviour in the Holy See uh, per square metre than most places I know in the world. I mean, it is, and that is very obvious, and there's a very obvious explanation. You know, if you are of a homosexual, uh, if your sexual preference is homosexual, uh, you're going to be attracted to the all-male uh, Catholic institutions, the all-male community. Uh, and uh, there are plenty of such people in uh, the Holy See. Let me quickly say, that is not to say that the vast majority, or a majority, of uh, uh, priests do not have uh, an absolutely genuine uh, vocation. Mm. But uh, there are a lot of people in uh, Holy See places who are, whose vocation seems to me to be mingled in with their homosexual uh, tendency. And can you see any sign that the theology, or well, maybe not theology is not the right word, but the teaching around homosexuality then should change? Or, or that either that or the gay activity has got to be rooted out. I don't like using that term, but I, I, discouraged, I, you know? Yeah, um, I don't know if you, if, if, uh, you or any of our listeners uh, read a piece by the Redemptorist priest Tony Flannery this week in the Irish Independent. I did. It was wonderful. Excellent. It's a piece. very good piece because what he says is, is, I agree 100% with me, he says that the, the present malaise has, has got much deeper roots. It's not a question of just tinkering around with my nose. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the church needs to, uh, he says the Irish church, but he means the universal church. It needs to initiate a process of discussion at all levels to discern you know, what, what type of ministry is best suited for the church of the future. And, uh, you know, uh, what he's saying is, uh, he doesn't say it in his words, but the church is very slow to change its own traditional teaching in relation to sexual morals. Let, let me tell you a story that for me was very emblematic. In the 17th century, Galileo, uh, Galileo, the, uh, the father of modern physics, the father of modern science, he was uh, persecuted by the uh, Roman Inquisition in 1615. And uh, he he was persecuted because he he was his teachings that the earth was not flat were deemed her- heretical, and indeed he he was persecuted and he spent the last a uh, number of years of his life under house arrest. Uh, 
Mm. Now, I was in, as a reporter in Rome in the early 90s covering the Vatican when John Paul II issued an apology to Galileo. <laughs> <laughs> so what I say to gays is just wait another 300 years or so and you'll get your apology. But, but what I'm saying is the Catholic Church is a very, very... Uh, it, it, like it's, it's about the longest established and, and, and most significant uh, institution in the world in some sense, in terms of its own sense of bureaucracy, and it's very, very slow to change. And, the, and it just, it, you ask me, is there any sign of change in relation to teaching homosexuality? And the answer is no. Iggy O'Donovan, you want to say something to Paddy? Hi, Paddy. The, oh, yeah. the, uh, Iggy, is it? Yes, yes. here, yeah. Hi, Iggy. Ha, I um, was taken there when you said that when you got onto the press office, the Vatican were able to tell you they hadn't even heard of this uh, issue in Ireland and that it was a local issue. But uh, which does go to illustrate that in many ways here in Ireland, what make for sensational headlines and, you know, endless discussion. In fact, in the bigger picture of things and where the church, you know, where the biggest Catholic church in the world, say Brazil or something, it probably would be a footnote. So that uh, it's a much, much bigger institution than we're dealing with. I, I should say too, we've had a lovely text. The church is so out of date, more open-minded needed. Iggy had always been so open-minded. We miss him and draw so much. It's all about the community <laughs> and Iggy always opened people's minds on Sunday Mass at a quarter past one. But finally, Paddy, I'd say to you there when you mentioned that um, Rome, that they feel they can't get involved in every little bun fight uh, throughout the I can assure you from personal experience very small bun fights sometimes grab their attention <laughs> um, Sarah MacDonald would you like a final word on where you think the church is going to from here well, some people have asked about celibacy, the issue of celibacy and saying that that's at the root of the problem. And yes, there does need to be a debate around that. But, you know, I I, I think of Pope Francis. He, he is a celibate man. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no better man. Um, if everybody lived up to their celibacy like he did, there wouldn't be an issue around celibacy. Celibacy is a discipline. And, you know, Iggy made reference to the GAA. There are rules and regulations in um, games of uh, GAA football, hurling and all the rest. People have to adhere to them. There's a question, you know, should seminarians be adhering to the discipline of celibacy? We'll have to have a few more black cards. I am going to leave it there for this morning. I really want to thank all my guests. Aoife Breen did an unbelievable job producing our show this morning. Marion Kennedy was in sound. Jack Horgan-Jones is up next standing in for Bobby Kerr. I'll be on the Sunday show tomorrow at 10. And thank you for listening. And I want to leave you with a word from Father Vincent Sherlock in Kilmovie County, Mayo. He's written a lovely piece on his blog, Sherlock's Home, called Hashtags and Healing, talking about his very positive experience with when he was in Maynooth. I spoke to him yesterday and our full interview will be podcast after the show on Newstalk.com. But as we finished up yesterday, I was thinking of all the priests this weekend who have to get up on altars and their congregations looking at them, wondering what on earth were they at when they were in a seminary. And I asked him, how does he cope with that? And it must be so hard in weeks like this when there's another scandal, you know, breaking out about the church and people making comments and you're being asked for a comment. Where do you find support on a week like this when you still have to get up and go to mass and go out and about and do your job? That's the strange thing, Sarah. Um, you find the support where you are doing the job. I think most people see me as a priest in their parish. I think most people feel they can approach me as that. Um, they're very supportive. Uh, most people see their priest the same way. And I often think that, you know, you just look to your own priest. Um, we're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. But, you know, we're, we're doing, doing our bit as best we can. And I think that, you know, 
I think it's the great thing to be able to say at times if people are giving out to a priest you can have at the churches is say, well, that's not my experience. You have to say, what is my experience as a priest in my parish? What, when somebody was sick belonged to me, did he walk away from us or did he do his bit for us? Mm. When somebody died, was he there for us? When we were getting married, was he there for us? Or, or did he turn his back on us? And I think if the answer is he, he was there for us, that's where I think people draw their, their conclusions from. And uh, most people around here, apart from asking me how, one or two people have asked me how I felt about this. And the answer is, I feel sad. Of course I feel sad because it's not what you, I suppose, sign up for that you're a, a part of something that's continually maybe uh, being exposed to scandals or, or, or criticism or, or negativity. It wasn't why I became a priest to be a negative person or to be involved in something negative. But I think, going back to what you're saying, my support comes from the people here in the parish. I mean, from priests, friends, uh, priests, uh, friends out in the diocese, friends out through the country, and, and family. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.